Hello, I'm Mark McNeely, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2018 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Our program features three short podcasts originally developed by the Illinois Soybean Association Checkoff Program. These presentations, including Evaluating Early Season Plant Health, Fungicide Timing and Use in Production, and stink bug activities in soybeans are all brought to you today by Yetter Manufacturing Company. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they are released. If you have another app you'd like to use for listening purposes, please let us know and we'll make every effort to get it listed there as well. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing Company for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter Manufacturing delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. In the first of this three-part series, Nick Marley, an agronomist and certified crop advisor, is interviewed by Cassie Yance of the Illinois Soybean Association. He addresses early season soybean health and how such problems can often be identified below ground because early season soils tend to be wetter and colder than later in the season. Let's listen as Nick explains some of the health issues to look for. Today I'm speaking with Nick Marley, an agronomist and certified crop advisor with a bachelor's degree in agronomy and crop sciences from the University of Illinois, and he's currently working toward a master's in agronomy and crop science at Iowa State University. Nick is one of our CCA soy envoys this year, and we're happy to have him. So it's that time of year to start checking for early season plant health after emergence, and we're going to dig into some symptoms to look for and help diagnose problems early in the season and so that we can hopefully correct them before they begin stealing yield potential. So Nick, once soybeans have emerged, you know, what are those first steps that growers should walk through to see if their seedlings will grow into pod-bearing plants? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, once those plants emerge, um, a lot of things can't be seen from the road, so I encourage the growers just to get out of the truck and actually walk through the fields. They might look good from uh, the roadside, but once you get out to the field, there might be some issues. So once they get out there, I encourage them to take a shovel and uh, dig up a few plants, because a lot of times, um, if there's going to be uh, early season problems with the soybean plants, most likely going to be below ground, just due to the fact we're fighting cold soils, and that can fight, and that can cause a lot of disease issues. So Nick, once soybeans have emerged, what are those first steps that growers should walk through to see if their seedlings will grow into pod-bearing plants? Yeah, um, one of the main issues a guy needs to do is just get out there and scout fields, uh, get out of the truck, 
you know, if they get into the fields, take a shovel with them, mainly because a lot of the issues they're going to run into are going to be below ground. Um, a lot of the seedling diseases that we fight early on season is uh, due to cold soil. So, you know, generally when we plant soybeans in April and early May, we are planting the cold soils. So once they dig them up, um, just look around the hypocotyl or the main stem coming out of the ground. Um, if there's any kind of lesions on there, that might cause cause for concern, especially in untreated seeds. Um, generally, I do not run into uh, too many lesions on plants that have been seed treated. Um, once, if they are untreated and they have lesions, there is nothing the grower can do at that point. Mm-hmm. And future management practices, you know, including the seed treatment for next year might be warranted. Right. So diving a little bit deeper into those above ground symptoms, what are some things growers should really pay attention to this year? I mean, what are some of those pests that we think might be, you know, coming out to, uh, to cause some damage? One of the main pests that we fight early in season are bean leaf beetles. Um, generally, if you were the first producer in that area, you're planting soybeans, those bean leaf beetles are attracted to that soybean field. So, um, those soy, the bean leaf beetles are attracted to the early planted fields, and they can find a soybean field within three days after emergence, and they will begin feeding on that plant. Not those bean leaf beetles can cause uh, viruses later in season, which can cause mm-hmm. uh, anywhere from ten to fifteen percent your loss. Right. Now you you mentioned uh, you recommend them bringing a shovel and digging digging up a plant. What are some of those below ground symptoms that growers should really pay attention to this season? Yeah, um, one of the main things is just look for lesions on on the uh, hypocotyl or the main stem of the plant. If there's any kind of lesions, those can turn into infection sites, and they most likely are. Um, a lot of the seedling diseases are very hard to distinguish between. Uh, the main two, the main one we fight early in season is pythium. Mm-hmm. Um, that's due to the cold, wet soils that we experience. Um, but we also have to fight Phytophthora. Rosactonia and Fusarium. Um, a lot of times uh, they're very hard to distinguish between, and sometimes um, uh, sending off to the lab is the best way to determine. But a lot of times, um, a, just a seed treatment will take care of a lot of those um, disease issues that we might find into. Um, I know guys that have planted into, that were planting in April, where you know, they planted beans early April. Now those seed treatments are starting to wear off due to the fact that, you know, the after 28 days, the, effect, the efficacy of the seed treatment has started to fall off, so the plants are more susceptible right. to seedling diseases now. Right. Well, you know, if a grower goes out there and they start seeing some of these early symptoms, you know, what what can they do? Is it is it a planning process, like you said, plan for next year to, to utilize um, the seed treatment, or are there any symptoms that they might see that they can get in front of for this season? Well, if they didn't treat their seed, or even if they did and the seed treatment has worn off, um, one of the easiest issues for a management practice is there's nothing this year they can do. But for next year, plant on seed treatments, um, I would always recommend at least a fungicide, maybe an insecticide if they're going early. And another thing is don't get in the field too early. Um, you know, it might be dry on top, but it might be a little wet underneath. And if, if you cause compaction from that, and, you know, another, it's a kind of a major issue for some guys, but installing drainage, mm-hmm. you know, field time, the field, something where the water can get away quicker, you know, right. it's just so a lot of those diseases we fight are um, heavily dependent on being saturated. So, okay. um, 
if we can have a drainage problem so solved, you know, that can take a lot of the pressure off the soybeans. Good. If I need help examining my plant health after emergence, you know, who can I contact? Who can I reach out to? Uh, probably the main people I would contact be your seed representative. And they might be able to contact your seed agronomist. Um, also, maybe the um, ag retail sector. Um, they usually have their own local agronomist. Um, and also one of the uh, Illinois Soybean CCA sea envoys might be able to assist you. Oh, great. Well, is there anything else you'd like to include that I haven't covered? Yeah. Um, moving forward, you know, as we want to grow higher soy, higher yielding soybeans, uh, we are going to have to plant earlier, and then we're going to have to be planting in the April. Uh, the main thing is just when you're moving forward, is to use seed treatments and avoid compassion. And, you know, if you have good drainage on those fields, generally um, there's seedling diseases. And if you throw that insecticide with that seed treatment, um, you're solving the two main issues of yield robbers early in season from those soybean plants. Our second podcast in this episode is titled Fungicide Timing and Use in Production. And the speaker is Chad Kahaler, an agronomist with Beck's Hybrids. Chad will address a range of regional diseases that can affect soybeans and the differences between fungal diseases, viruses, and bacterial diseases. Let's listen in as Chad discusses fungicide treatments and timing for soybeans. Today I'm speaking with Chad Kahaler, agronomist with Bex Hybrids and one of our Soy CCA envoys. At this point in the growing season, we are going to be focusing on fungicide timing and use in soybean production. So to start, you know, Chad, what are some of the diseases that need to be controlled in Illinois? Yeah, thanks, Cassie. Um, well, first off, the, the diseases that we really want to concentrate in Illinois to be looking for are Probably the first one that really would occur about every year in every soybean field in Illinois would be Sensoria brown spot. And one of the things that's been kind of surprising about Sensoria brown spot is it's, it's really been associated to be the number two yield robber in Illinois the past several years. That's kind of surprising to a lot of people, but that's, that's one of the main diseases to look for. Uh, it progresses from the bottom of the plant upward into the canopy. And once we get uh, upward into the canopy, about middle canopy, we start to think about fungicide applications at that point. But as far as other diseases that we really need to look for, uh, white mold would be another one, and this would be a regionalized disease. As we get farther north into Illinois, white mold would be a disease of concern. And another regionalized uh, concern of disease and soybeans would be frog eye leaf spot. And that would be more towards the southern part of Illinois. So. Other ones in addition to those would be things like powdery mildew, downy mildew, uh, pod and stem blight, cercospora leaf blight, as well as anthracnose. Now, there are some, some diseases out there that are not uh, fungi. They're actually bacteria or viruses. So what I'm referring to here is things like bacterial leaf blight and soybean vein necrosis virus. So those would be first one there, bacterial blight, obviously with the name, would be bacteria and would not be controlled by a fungicide. And the second one I mentioned there, soybean vein necrosis virus, obviously it's a virus, so we would not be able to control that with a fungicide. So we need to have accurate diagnosis 
uh, of the diseases that are out there to be able to make an application or a proper recommendation for a fungicide. Sure, that was a, a great summary. So what types of fungicides are available to fight these diseases, you know, specifically uh, the diseases instead of the bacteria? And then what, you know, what are some of the best modes of action for application? We know that we are constantly at risk for uh, resistance, and so that's something we need to consider as we go into each season. So, so what are your thoughts on those? Right, great question. You know, we're always thinking about, you know, I kind of liken this kind of question to, you know, herbicides. And we, we have similar types of approaches with fungicides. We have to be cognizant of, you know, managing disease resistance or disease resistance management and rotating different modes of action. And in some areas, that's really important because as we talk about diseases like frog eye leaf spot, where we have known cases of resistance to uh, certain classes of chemistry, but we want to make sure we know that we, if we're dealing with those types of strains, of resistant fog at least spot. And you know, if we do know that we have those types of resistant strains, we need to use the proper chemistry. Wonderful. So, you know, with these, can can growers make an early pre-flower application or when should they be looking? You know, they're going to be in the field looking for these diseases. When should they start to go out and actually make an application? You know, can fungicides be, you know, mixed with an insecticide or foliar nutrients? What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, so, again, a couple of good, excellent questions, uh, very practical questions. Can growers make a pre-flower application of a fungicide? So the short answer to that is yes, they can. It's certainly labeled uh, to make an early pre-flower application of a fungicide and soybean. Um, it's one that is very uncommon. Um, usually, if a grower is applying a fungicide pre-flower there's usually one or two things going on. One is going to be probably septoria brown spot that is at a high amount. So septoria brown spot infects usually the plant very early in the season by a lot of rainfall. Uh, but the other disease we get concerned about for a pre-flower or just right at flower initiation would be white bulb. Uh, so at the R1 or beginning flower stage, those that stage would be the best stage to apply a preventative application for white mold. The problem with that is it's very expensive to do so, and there's limited options to do uh, that type of uh, fungicide application. There's really two products that have been identified by universities throughout the Midwest to do a decent job at controlling white mold. There's nothing that's excellent on white mold control, but a pre-flower or flower initiation application of a product like Endura from BASF or a two-pass two program with a product called Approach from DuPont uh, would be two of the top products that would be recommended. The second part of your question referring to can we tank mix insecticides or foliar nutritional products with the fungicide? And the answer to that is yes. Um, we can tank mix insecticides. You know, this year they're are places where we're dealing with Japanese beetles in fields, uh, many areas of Illinois. Uh, so if those are at threshold, we need to think about going ahead and add the insecticide in, as well as if we identify any micronutrient or secondary macronutrient deficiencies in soybeans, we can address those at the same time we're applying a fungicide. Great. Thank you so much. So if I'm interested in learning more about foliar feeding, who do you recommend I, you know, reach out to? 
a lot of good resources on, on foliar feeding and, and what nutrients the plant can still utilize at different growth stages. So the one thing I think growers should really be focused on this time of year is what nutrients the, the plant can still utilize if they're spraying a fungicide at that uh, R3 timing, which has really been identified as one of the sweet spots. So that's the beginning pause stage. So as far as foliar uh, micronutrient products or secondary macros, there's a lot of different sources of information there. Universities uh, would be a great source of information there. There are other uh, independent researchers that have done work on that. Next, practical farm research has some experience with testing products. We have some uh, identified some what we call BEX PFR or practical farm research proven products uh, in soybeans for foliar micronutrients, along with some BEX PFR proven products in soybeans that are fungicides. And those fungicides that are uh, PFR proven would be Stratego Yield, Preaxor, and Preemptor. So we found that over seven years, the R3 timing, that beginning pod stage is that sweet spot, but it really depends on the weather. So we kind of, I like to say the R2, which is the full flower, or to the R4, R2 to R4 time frame, uh, is the, the time frame of when you really want to look at applying a fungicide on soybeans. But maybe the R3, that beginning pod stage, to be that sweet spot for the fungicide application. We'll rejoin our final podcast in this series in a moment, but I wanted to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing Company, for supporting our No-Till Farmer podcast series. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter Manufacturing delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to the final podcast in this series from the Illinois Soybean Association's Checkoff Program. Stink bugs are pests that are known to cause damage to vegetable crops, but they can be a threat to soybeans as well. We'll hear from Stephanie Porter, sales agronomist with Burris Hybrids, as she tells us more about the particular species of stink bug, the browned, marmorated stink bug, and how this pest can attack soybean pods during development thus negatively impacting yields. Let's hear what Stephanie has to say about these really smelly bugs. Today I'm speaking with Stephanie Porter, sales agronomist with Burris Hybrids and one of our CCA soy envoys. Now Stephanie, I've heard rumblings, there's rumors floating around that we've got a new enemy, an insect threat coming after our soybeans. Can you shed a little light on the situation for us? Well, uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about stink bugs, and so uh, we're going to take a few minutes today to talk about those. Um, they 
sometimes can be found in Illinois depending on the year. However, they usually are most likely to be found in the south or in the eastern Corn Belt. And so there's a lot of rumblings about this pest and whether or not it's at higher levels in Illinois or not. So is this pest typically common in Illinois? Is it something, you know, we see pretty often? I remember growing up and seeing stink bugs when I was playing outside just, you know, in the neighborhood. So I've never really thought of them as an agronomic pest, I guess. But give me a little background on this insect. Well, uh, definitely we do find it. Uh, just recently this, this summer I've started to see them. So they start to show up in August. Uh, so it's something definitely to watch out for. Uh, they haven't always been around. There's several different species, so some of them might be green stink bug, brown stink bug, uh, red shoulder stink bug, one spotted stink bug. Uh, but one of them um, that just showed up around 1998 within the United States is one that we're really concerned with, and that's brown marmorated stink bug. Um, it can be uh, differentiated from the other stink bugs um, many different ways, but one of the main ways is the white band across its antenna. And this is uh, one that we're specifically concerned with because it's, it can be a major agricultural pest. So not only on soybeans, but also on fruits and vegetables. Um, it gets uh, a lot of talk because this one's the one that homeowners talk about because uh, when it starts getting cold in the winter it likes to hitchhike and go into people's houses and people don't like bugs in their houses so we hear about a lot about them um, primarily they've been seen in fruits and vegetables so far maybe like orchards for example however stink bugs can multiply heavy and so they're hungry and they can move into soybeans, and that's what we're afraid of. And particularly, they can cause a lot of damage to the seeds and the fruits of vegetables and fruits and of our soybeans. Yeah, so let's talk about that. What type of damage are they doing to our plants? Are they feeding in the leaves and stealing that photosynthesis generator? Are they getting into the pods and stealing yield? How, how's that all working? That's a great question. So primarily what they're doing is they have these piercing, sucking mouth parts. And so what it does, it actually pokes through the pod and it causes those precious little soybean seeds, our yield, uh, to be shriveled and sometimes even flat. And so what we want to try to do with our soybeans is protect the pods against those critters. So, so it sounds like we can control this issue. How do you recommend growers go about protecting their beans from the stink bugs? So they definitely need to be looking um, around now, so mid-August or um, even starting around the R2 growth stage. We're, we're way past that now in a lot of our soybeans now. Um, but uh, we want to be out there looking to see if we actually have them. Uh, most insects, sorry, most insecticides um, have, can control uh, or have stink bugs on their label, so they can be controlled by most insecticides. We do have to make sure um, to kind of keep a watch out even after we spray an insecticide because sometimes these insects can be kind of tolerant. Um, the nymph stage, which is the, the baby stage, I guess you would say, of these critters are, are going to be more susceptible 
Um, we can go out and scout different areas of the field. So sometimes uh, agronomists may suggest 10 sweeps if you have a sweep net. I know a lot of people may not have those. So just make sure you go to multiple locations within the field. And if you see four or more uh, stink bugs out there and in each one of those areas, you may want to think about or contact an agronomist and think about protecting your soybean seeds. That's great advice, Stephanie. So I like how you said contact your agronomist. I mean, is there anything else you recommend growers do if they're worried or concerned about um, stink bugs getting in there and, and messing with their soybeans? Or if so, is there any additional information they can go and find? Um, there is a ton of stuff out on, on the website. Another good resource is the Illinois History Survey or the, the Pest Survey with Kelly Estes at the University of Illinois. Um, she is the resource to go to to find out because she's the one and her interns are out there actually scouting fields throughout Illinois and keeping an eye on these stink bugs and especially the brown marmorated stink bug. So she's definitely my go-to whenever I am worried about this pest. Um, so they're definitely good hitchhikers, so they can spread easily on equipment, um, field to field, and um, definitely warm winters don't necessarily predict more sting bugs, um, but it could say that we could have a higher risk this year of those pests, so definitely keep an eye out for them. We'd like to sincerely thank the Illinois Soybean Association for allowing us to rebroadcast this three-part series of podcasts. For those listeners who would like to hear more about plant and soil health and successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing Company, for helping us make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to give me a call or send me an email at Lesseter Media. It's mcneely at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2404. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or at the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and the dryland no-tiller e-newsletter and be sure to follow us on twitter at no-till farmer with farmer spelled f-a-r-m-r and on our no-till farmer facebook page For the Illinois Soybean Association Checkoff Program, Yetter Manufacturing Company, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Mark McNeely. Thank you for listening.